You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. MGM Resorts incident is now believed to be ransomware, so how does that inform our view of materiality of a cyber incident? MetaStealer targets businesses, cloud access with stolen credentials, the cloud as an expansive attack surface, Johannes Ulrich from SANS describes malware in .inf files, in our Industry Voices segment I speak with Oliver Tavacoli, CTO at Vectra, on the complexity and challenges of cloud service security. And welcome back, Your Highness, the large language model, Prince of Nigeria. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Thursday, September 14th, 2023. The attack on MGM Resorts International is now generally held to be a ransomware operation, but there's some lack of clarity over which gang is responsible. VX Underground tweeted that the ALF V ransomware gang had claimed responsibility and that the attackers gained access through social engineering, specifically vishing. They put it this way, All ALF V ransomware group did to compromise MGM Resorts was hop on LinkedIn, find an employee, then call the help desk. HackRead offers a more extensive account of this attribution that's open to the possibility that the attackers may represent an ALFV subgroup. But it seems increasingly unlikely that it was ALFV. Other sources, Bloomberg and Reuters among them, charge the attack to Scattered Spider, also known as UNC 3944, a younger criminal organization, 
younger both in terms of its recent appearance and the ages of its members, some of whom are believed to be teenagers operating from the U.S. and the U.K. Some of the confusion may arise from scattered spiders' use of ransomware encryptors and dump site infrastructure made available by ALFV. ALFV has traded these on C2C markets, the FBI says, since April of 2022 at least. In this case, there may have been some direct collaboration between Scattered Spider and ALFV. Scattered Spider has shown considerable aptitude for social engineering, attributable in part to their vishing operators being native speakers of English. The hospitality sector, and especially its casino subsector, has long been more security-aware than most, but the Wall Street Journal concludes that connectivity in the industry seems to have outrun the casino's ability to secure their systems. Recovery has involved reversion to many long sidelined manual systems, giving the affected casinos a curiously retro, oddly analog vibe. Bloomberg says that Scattered Spider is believed to have been responsible for a ransomware attack against MGM Resort's competitor Caesars Entertainment a few weeks earlier. Caesars is expected to disclose the attack, which began on August 27th, in regulatory filings imminently. The company had not yet done so as of this morning. Bank Info Security reports indications that Caesars paid the ransom demand some $15 million, or half of the extortionist's demand. Moody's Investor Service evaluated the incident and said in an assessment provided to the CyberWire, that the incident is credit-negative for MGM Resorts International. The downtime, in particular, was a problem for a business that relies heavily on technology, especially when that downtime entails potential revenue losses. MGM Resorts will also be dealing with reputational risk and any direct costs related to investigation and remediation. There's a risk of litigation as well. In general, Moody's regards the gaming and gambling industry as carrying moderate cybersecurity risk because of its high degree of digitization and the large quantities of potentially valuable personal information companies in the sector tend to hold. MGM Resorts International, in a Form 8K filed yesterday with the Securities and Exchange Commission, warned that the incident represents a material risk to the company— New SEC regulations require companies to disclose cyber incidents that have a material effect on a public company. There's been much discussion of what counts as materiality, with companies having considerable latitude in reaching their own definition. The ransomware attacks on MGM Resorts and Caesars Entertainment offer two examples of companies' judgments of materiality. Sentinel-1 has published an analysis of Metastealer, a malware family designed to target macOS. The malware is distributed via social engineering with business-themed lures. Sentinel-1 says, This specific targeting of business users is somewhat unusual for macOS malware, which is more commonly found being distributed via torrent sites or suspicious third-party software distributors as cracked versions of business, productivity, or other popular software. Once installed, the malware attempts to exfiltrate data, particularly passwords saved in the keychain. IBM X-Force has released its 2023 Cloud Threat Landscape Report, finding that 36% of cloud security incidents in 2023 resulted from the theft of valid credentials, compared to just 9% in 2022. IBM says, 
X-Force engagements reveal that often credentials with overprivileged access are left exposed on user endpoints in plain text, creating an opportunity for attackers to establish a pivot point to move deeper into the environment or access highly sensitive information. Specifically, plain text credentials were located on user endpoints in 33% of X-Force Red's adversary simulation engagements that involved cloud environments during the reporting period. The researchers add, Microsoft Outlook cloud credentials accounted for over 5 million mentions on illicit marketplaces, by far the most popular access for sale. Palo Alto Networks has released its Unit 42 Attack Surface Threat Report for 2023, finding that 80% of security exposures are located in cloud environments. These exposures are often introduced through changes in cloud services, which occur frequently. Palo Alto Networks says, Over 45% of most organizations' high-risk cloud-hosted exposures in a given month were observed on new services that hadn't been present on their organization's attack surface in the month prior. Thus, the creation of new publicly accessible cloud services, both intended and unauthorized, is a risk factor related to nearly half of all high-criticality exposures at a given time. Finally, there's a new kid on the royal block, and we're not talking about the Duchess of Sussex either. Abnormal security warns that cybercriminals are using generative AI tools like ChatGPT to improve classic Nigerian prince scams. They say, spelling mistakes and grammatical errors have long been characteristics of an attack, making them easy to spot even if they did land in the inbox. But with the rise of generative AI, this is no longer the case. Some threat actors are sending a combination of human and AI-generated emails, which the researchers think is an indication that cybercriminals are still testing out the technology to determine how useful it may be for their work. The scammers have also shifted the themes of these emails, with many of them referring to business transactions rather than personal ones. So, you too, friend, could make a pile with a small upfront investment, or so we hear. We pass that on without endorsement. But seriously, it wounds us that machines do better with English than many graduates of American high schools. Stay in school, friends, and buy the great horn spoon in the shade of Mr. Noah Webster, fellow youths. Pay attention in your English class. And once again, remind your loved ones there is no Nigerian prince. Coming up after the break, Johannes Ulrich from Sands describes malware in .inf files. In our Industry Voices segment, I speak with Oliver Tavacoli. Chief Technology Officer at Vectra on the complexity and challenges of cloud service security. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. 
This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The migration that many organizations have made toward cloud data storage and security has brought with it an added dimension of complexity, managing cloud architecture, change controls, and the basic differences between the various cloud providers all present specific challenges and the potential for security issues. Oliver Tavacoli is chief technology officer at security firm Vectra, and in this sponsored Industry Voices segment, we discuss his insights on securing cloud environments. I think oftentimes what you see in organizations is that the business need uh, to be agile gets out ahead of the security side of things. The security team doesn't typically want to be in the business of saying no. And so different business units go ahead and adopt some cloud systems. And then eventually uh, the central security function is given the baton and asked to make sure that it's all secure and that they can that the business can meet its compliance mandates and that risk is mitigated reasonably. And so oftentimes the security team, I think, finds themselves chasing uh, where the business is rather than laying uh, the groundwork in advance of the business going to cloud. Hmm. Are there any common misperceptions with folks when it comes to how they consider cloud security? Yeah, I think oftentimes cloud in general, that there's a euphemism. It's, it's you know, your application running on someone else's compute or your data stored on somebody mm-hmm. else's storage. But I think there are significant differences beyond that abstraction. And so two key differences are, number one, from the point of view of an attacker, each cloud system is relatively homogeneous and self-describing. And so what that means is if I break into somebody on-prem, Every environment is like its own unique snowflake, and I have to spend a lot of time figuring out the ins and outs of how that environment is set up, what systems I can reach, how I deal with identity and stuff like that. In the cloud, if you're attacking some AWS environment belonging to a particular customer, a particular tenant, a particular organization, it's all very homogeneous and it's all self-described. And once you get API access to the environment, you can actually just ask it about the entirety of the environment without having to spend a lot of time doing reconnaissance and other things like that. So that's one difference. The second key difference is that cloud systems are definedly leaky. And, And so storage is an interesting example of that. I think most people tend to think of storage as just part of the you know, infrastructure as a service uh, migration. It's like, oh yeah, I used to have my disks and now I have my storage. You might even think of it as, as the equivalent of a file server that you have on-prem. The problem is that this is a file server that can be got at without going through your network. 
as we saw certainly in the early days of cloud adoption when people's S3 buckets were just left open to the internet and uh, were not secured and people just downloaded you know, gigabytes and gigabytes of data, none of that data actually went through the network boundary of that cloud tenant, the, the, the organization's cloud kind of network. And so that's the other thing that's hard for people to kind of get their head around, which is that all of these services, storage included, effectively have a backplane that bypasses their network controls. Where, where on-prem, you could never basically exfiltrate 10 gigabytes of data without it going through the edge firewall. In this instance, you can. And, and that is a new muscle to learn. And so do folks have to adjust to this kind of jettison that whole notion of there being a perimeter, of you know, there being a, a moat around the castle? Yeah, I think you, you still would like to think of it as a moat, but it becomes somewhat of a logical moat. It's like, do you have all the controls in place? It's not easy to look at in one place and say, I am convinced that I have a DMZ, which is what you would have in the old days. I know what controls I have. I know what's inbound and outbound. Now you have a much more leaky perimeter. You may have a concept of what you want your perimeter to be, but there's this whole cottage industry now of checking uh, whether the concept of what you think your perimeter is and your actual perimeter actually match up. So you may you may make unequivocally the statement that we have no uh, means of, of reaching our cloud tenant other than from our on-prem systems, and it may turn out to be an untrue statement. So there's this whole cottage industry of external attack surface management, which is attempting to find all the ways in which you might be leaky to the outside that you may not be aware of. You know, you and your colleagues there at Vectro, when it comes to the folks that you're working with, are, are there any common elements that you find for the, for the folks who are finding success here? Are there commonalities? I think for the folks that succeed at this, we find that the security team has reasonable controls in place. Like if the security team is chasing the rest of the business, it's really hard, right? You can implement some detection capability, but ultimately it's it's very difficult if the rest of the business is not really committed to security, is committed to prime, first and foremost to agility and getting products out and getting services out. I think when there's a balance, when there is a reasonable uh, balance between the security team and the, the infrastructure teams in terms of what they, infrastructure and application team in terms of what they deployed, that's one. I think the second one for us is that we find Again, the security teams that have a reasonable balance in terms of prevention, so they do some amount of you know cloud security posture management, but recognize that there is a law of diminishing returns on that and have detection capabilities. The other one that we find is more and more coming to the fore is the ability to kind of stitch these worlds together. Attackers know that you have these series of interconnected systems. Your cloud systems are some of those. Your cloud identity, uh, which is not really public cloud per se, things like Azure AD or Okta is another element of that. Your SaaS applications, it used to be you would run Exchange servers on-prem. Now you're sending all your data to Microsoft 365 in the cloud. How are you securing those things? Well, how is access control to those things? I mean, we see all the business email compromise these days. A lot of that is against cloud-hosted systems. These are more SaaS applications. And so the problem then tends to be if you have this distributed attack surface across on-prem, network, endpoint, and public cloud, and cloud identity, and SaaS applications, 
how do you begin to stitch all of these things together? Because attackers may only leave a certain amount of signal in any one of these places, which will make it rather difficult to detect them there. But if you if you zoom out and look at the pattern across the entirety of your attack surface, attacks become kind of more tractable and easier to find. Uh, so stitching these worlds together is key. That is really kind of part of our XDR strategy is, you know, how do we provide native signal for a lot of these surfaces and for the ones that we don't provide it for? How do we import that signal and then stitch those worlds together so you don't have to? That's Oliver Tavacoli from Vectra. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Uh, Johannes, it's great to welcome you back to our show. Uh, I know one of your colleagues, I believe, has been uh, looking at some malicious code embedded in .inf files. What's going on here? That was Xavier, and uh, he came across uh, this particular malware that I thought was kind of interesting because uh, it's always amazing how attackers find new ways to deliver a malware uh, in ways that you don't necessarily expect and uh, that you don't necessarily inspect when you're looking at attachments and such. In this particular case, it was a .inf file. Now, if you're a Windows user, you may have seen .inf files. They're usually part of the setup tool that you're using to install software. And typically, they just describe you know, where the software is being copied to. But everything is better with some kind of arbitrary code execution. So um, they also have here something called a run pre-setup command section. Uh, that's a section in the INF file that allows you to run arbitrary commands. The idea is you may want to prepare the system, maybe create some directories or do something along the line, maybe change some settings. So you can basically add an arbitrary PowerShell script to these INF files and now if the user installs the software, or at least that's what they think they do, and of course this works even better if you can find some benign and uh, trusted uh, piece of software to do this with, all the attacker has to do is change that one section in the INF file, and now they can download additional uh, files. Hmm. So it, it's masquerading as a legit file, and, and indeed may function as a legit file, but lurking within is this uh, malicious code. Yeah, and then, of course, it's always of the social engineering aspect here. In this particular case, the additional software they download installed, well, they called, call it a corporate VPN client, which I'm not sure if that's what sort of within the context of a particular application. But if you are seeing on your system all of a sudden some corporate VPN client, well, you may discard it and say it's probably nothing. It's probably uh, just something, you know, corporate IT installed. For right, <laughs> right, right. So what are, your, what are your recommendations then for folks to protect themselves here? Block.inf files, I don't think there's a good reason why you should ever download one uh, from the internet or receive one in email. And it's sort of that good old block list game, you know, whack them all, yet another extension to block. It would be nice if someone would come up with a nice allow list uh, to only list extensions that you actually need. Uh, but of course, <laughs> that that's, uh, that's really difficult too. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, good insights as always. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us.
And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber.